Welcome to Journals of Self-Discovery. Welcome to what is the second episode of Journals of Self-Discovery. My guest today is Bob Sergal. I first crossed paths with Bob many years ago, in the early 1990s actually, when I moved to Richard Rose's farm. Bob was actually moving away at the time and beginning a new chapter in his life. Since that time, I've heard Bob speak at numerous TAT Foundation meetings, and I helped compile a number of his essays, which appear in the book Beyond Mind, Beyond Death. Though Bob is not a poet, I think his words come from a place of wisdom and poignancy that it is poetic, and I hope that this interview captures some of the magic that's in Bob's words. Well, Bob, I, uh, I actually just wanted to start uh, a question with something that you recently wrote in the Tap Foundation's online magazine, and uh, and basically this is this is a paraphrase of something that you wrote, and you said. Uh, Let's define ego two as the personality and ego one as the sense of I am alive as me behind that personality. And then you further said, I think it's become an increasingly common new age experience to see that personality as non-existent. And that is a relatively easy experience to come by. I think the proliferating spiritual experiences we hear more and more of today are manufactured by ego one. And the reason is that the widespread conventional teaching of today's New Age movement, known mostly today as non-dualism and Advaita, starts with a premise, a conclusion, and prescribes techniques declared in advance as leading to that conclusion. And this piece really struck me because that's something that I certainly think about a lot and run into a lot are people who who are claiming that they are enlightened, claiming that they are realized, yet it seems to be something different than what what you are talking about in terms of that experience. And I was wondering if you could you could talk a little bit more about you know, perhaps what inspired you to write this? Well, listening to you now, what what I remember is <clears throat> in the early days of my group work at OSU in Columbus, um, I had a, I had a lot of older people. I, I think I was nineteen years old at the time, or twenty, and I had uh, students or post students coming to meetings, and they were in their mid to late twenties, and uh, they were, you know, professed to be enlightened, and I, I wasn't very good at debating them because I, you know, didn't have much perspective back then. But they were followers of Alan Watts, and you know, this—it seemed like uh, the the idea that um, people could see that they weren't their bodies, that they could kind of they they would um, somehow split themselves or dissociate from their personality. And the fact that they could observe their personality, uh, they would get get to a, some sort of perspective and say, "Oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm not 
uh, I'm I'm the person watching this other person, and you know they they thought that that was that perspective was somehow zensatory or something, um, but clearly they didn't really they didn't have the kind of um, transcendence of self that someone like Bernadette Roberts writes about when she in, in her book The Experience of No Self. Um, you know, as far as uh, I, I can't tell you exactly what inspired me to, uh, to write those words at the time. I was watching the fireworks display that evening, and had, something had been rolling around my mind. I just, you know, I um, the other thing I would connect to that is I've heard um, even at tap meetings, different presenters talk about focusing the attention in the body, and you know that that. Uh, is a technique to bring about realization and I don't I just I don't see how it's possible I, th I think that um, you know getting your yourself into a completely re relaxed state uh, where you can you kind of um, you feel like you've you, you've you've transcended the mundane personality you know you've got some calm and you can see more clearly um, that the the I that that central point of of self awareness of I of being you is very uh, insulated and protected in that moment. I think and you're, you're not you're not seeing him. You know, I I, I need to kind of turn the words around and, and start start this. Um, you know, start over because the way reading all that stuff to me and asking me the question that way is pulled me down a, a different path with the words than I might have started with. Um, I have frequently said that your sense of self is an experience, you know, that and your most immediate experience is, is your sense of self. Uh, and that which, you, that which you feel yourself to be in reality is, is an experience. It's something that is, um, is being observed and you know, I th I think uh, you know a spiritual path is is um, basically all about defining yourself. You know, finding out what what are you, and everybody, you know, or no, nobody claims to be their body. Most people, you know, will tell you, oh, yes, of course, I realize I'm not my body, uh, but yet they have this notion that. Um, yeah, I'm not my body, so I don't need my body. <laughs> I don't need my body to exist. Well, apparently they need their body uh, uh, to the degree that every night when they go to sleep and the body seems to shut down, they seem to disappear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's... I, <clears throat> I would argue that uh, awareness is unbroken that uh, that that what their being never disappeared and awareness never ceased it's just that the there was no um, external object there was no object of the attention to focus on to generate the sense of I so in other words no experience no self so your your idea in, in ego one and ego two Two is that an individual is is seeing their personality and and we're calling that ego too uh, yet they're 
seeing that or aware of that uh, f uh, while still maintaining a sense of I am Sean, for example. I am an individual who's noticing the, a personality or noticing thoughts or noticing feelings. Is that what you're getting at? People have conversations with themselves. They argue with themselves all the time. Um, if you if you sit quietly in meditation and you watch your thoughts, um, at at some point you kind of get a you 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 see that uh, there's the thoughts that you're watching, but then there's this you you have a sense of being you watching those thoughts. Right. What I'm saying is that okay, so that that watcher is ego one, and the thoughts of the personality, or that that people get lost in when they're you know really lost in living their life, lost in experience, like you get lost when you're driving a car, uh, that would be ego two, and that there that ego one is still in the view, is still uh, something, uh, it, it's still an experience, it's an object in the attention. Mm -hmm. And and the thing of it is, is that 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 power of attention, that awareness, does not belong to that that thing that has this sense of being alive. That, that I, Bob Sergal or Sean, um, that awareness does not need for Sean for that sense of Sean being Sean to be there. Mm -hmm. it, it you know it, it, it the words kind of uh, the words really uh, fall apart and uh, sure. you know for all I know I, maybe maybe Pullian didn't mean ego one ego two in the same way that I'm talking about it but you know in the in the satsang scene the non-duality scene there's certainly a lot of talk about uh, people sitting with teachers and and having an experience of being awareness. Uh, being uh, being a non-personal awareness, and this seems to be something that can happen uh, just in a moment. That's yeah, what do you think is going I, on? I think it. I think it's a glimpse. I think it's. Uh, uh, I mean, by by virtue of their core being, they have. There's a capacity to. Um, for want for a better word, experience that. But in, when people are having that experience they're still it's like the experience is happening from the point of reference of uh the eye the the eye, it's uh it's still happening inside of the eye sense the eye is still anterior it's it's kind of like um uh if you ask them about it, they would say well yeah i i had this i had this experience i had this sense of that i was um you know i was whatever you know that, that it was an experiencing experience that was happening to them. Uh, they didn't. They didn't get. They didn't. They didn't get behind that which was having that experience. And would you call that enlightenment? That getting behind that which has the experience. Yeah, seeing seeing your seeing your uh, own non-existence. Knowing, knowing what remains when nothing of you will remain, when when death—it's a death experience—and it sounds that sounds really dramatic. And um, you know, like Rose used to talk about it. You know, he, he, I remember him saying one time that 
uh, he laughed when people talk, talked about having this like a wow experience or some trivial thing that uh, and they equated with enlightenment. And he'd say that, no, he said, when you have this experience, they're going to carry you out on a stretcher. <laughs> you know, it's going to be this cataclysmic. Uh, and, you know, and I think that I think people have different experiences. In fact, that part of re realization, re enlightenment is not an experience. It's a realization, uh, but it's an uh, there, there's an experience that accompanies it, and I think that that experience is um, has a pretty huge uh, range of manifestation. So you could have somebody with a monumental ego who's been just uh, you know uh, you know living a certain life, and then they. Um, something happens to them you know they they have a, uh, this realization and the the shock and the, the crashing down of everything that they thought they were is so traumatic that they trans can translate into a uh, an intense drawn out traumatic experience for someone else um, who maybe uh, over a much longer period of time uh, I mean, I kind of see myself this way that, you know, I, my, my association with Rose being around him so much, I had, I had so many glimpses and so many things, uh, so many experiences, so many realizations along the way happened to me, but um, I always put them off on him. I, I was kind of being inoculated. So when I finally, when this breakthrough finally happened, um, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, this. It wasn't terribly traumatic. I had some trauma prior to that. I had some, you know, highly emotional experiences leading up to that. Where I guess Rose might refer to him as the mountain experience, where I saw I saw life as uh, an illusion, completely dreamlike, and it was it was uh, uh, very upsetting. And uh, I remember uh, during this one experience, I was so upset by it that I, I and I was convinced that that was the answer. That I remember I was talking out loud to myself and cursing and saying, "Why would anybody, you know, why would anybody think that this is a good thing?" For, you know, and, and 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 talk about it and say, "Oh, you uh, tell other people you should have this same experience." <laughs> I was I was kind of uh, yeah. as angry and and um, upset at the same time, and I called Rose. That was one of the very very few times I ever picked up the phone and felt like I would actually call him and ask him about an experience. Because usually I felt foolish or you know or, or, or you know, like self conscious about talking. But this time I just I needed to call him, and so when I I called and uh, Cece answered the phone and. She put him on, and as soon as he said hello, you know, this was this was um, this is after the Alzheimer's had developed, and he he he's, he was still living at the farmhouse. But as soon as he got on the phone and said hello, there was just something in his voice. Um, I just knew immediately that he just he couldn't help me. Yeah. And, um, but so you know, there was well, some some weeks, many weeks after that, that this in reading that Pullian letter that um, the other shoe dropped. And so I guess my whole point there is that I think I was inoculated to things. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I had the, the kind of um, traumatic experience that Rose writes about in the three books of the absolute because for him it was such a out of nowhere 
utterly different shock um, realization than anything he had come close to or read about even up to that point whereas me I'd been around him for 20 years and and had had a lot of these experiences like you mentioned earlier of, of feeling immersed in eternality and awareness and all this but through all those experiences uh, Bob Circle was very much intact and those things belonged to me they were happening to me and I was always uh, always felt like uh, they were adding something to me and I was making progress and you know this was I was they were you know, milestones on the path you know proving to me that I was I was going to you know get there and the thing that nobody uh, allows for is that you you can't have you can't get enlightened <laughs> because it, it's it's you have to go it's not something that can happen to you it's there's some part of you um, that is 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 all that there is of you and the the the, the personality that is um, dancing around on the stage that wants this experience can't have it uh, so anyway it's wow I think we could uh, end the podcast right there Bob <laughs> <laughs> Just, just leave the listeners with that, with that thought. Uh, you've mentioned Richard Rose and, and Alfred Pouillan is obviously two people who were important along your path. Uh, would you say that your spiritual path began when you met Richard Rose? Uh, yeah, that's a kind of a trick question for in my own mind. Not, not, not that you're posing a trick question, but um, mm -hmm. in terms of a conscious uh, uh, idea that I had that there was such a thing called a spiritual path and that I was going to embark on one the answer would be yes um, but you know when I when I look back over my life I realized that there was um, there was something in me that I was always looking for an answer and I think it's true of you know in, it's in every human being every human being is is uh, you come into this world feeling like I'm alive. You know, I think of that Frankenstein movie where the creature says, "I'm alive." Uh, right. And but so that happens to us at uh, some incredibly young age, but we don't know what we are, and we 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 see this this world uh, that we're always in danger of being swallowed by, and so we're always trying to figure out what are we, and it you know the you know one one way to view our lives is is the entire life is an un unfolding story of trying to figure out who and what we are and reconcile reconcile ourselves comfort ourselves and learn how to die i remember uh, um, one of my earliest memories is sitting on a stairwell in um in the in the house where where you know my parents their first house after they got married they had their there we there were three kids in the family and one morning my mother got a phone call that her father had died and you know I think I might have been I don't think I was in school so I might have been like three maybe four four years old and I didn't understand what's going on but I understood I didn't you know I didn't know hear, hear the words that my grandfather died I just 
I, I knew that my mom was incredibly upset and she was on the phone. I was sitting on the steps eavesdropping and I, I guess I guess I must have heard something along the way about the death because it made such an impression on me. So at some young age I felt like there was something wrong. You know, there's there's something wrong mm -hmm. in this whole picture and, and you know, um, and, and then, uh, you know, I was taking the Catholic mass growing up uh, and this is in the old days when the mass was in Latin and there was a lot of pomp and ceremony and I was um, moved by that. There, uh, I was, that resonated with me. So I don't know, I, I've always, um, from my earliest days, I, I can remember feeling like something was missing, like something was wrong with me, um, that I, 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 I needed to figure out um, what was going to happen with my life. And f so by the time I met Rose, I mean, my, my dilemma, the, the dilemma was what was, what was I going to be? Because my first year of college, I was like really mm -hmm. traumatized by what am I? I didn't know what um, I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what I should major in. I didn't know what I was going to become. But I was keenly aware of the fact that it didn't matter whether I knew or did or not uh, knew or not that I was going to become something anyway, and that's that kind of scared me. Um, so I actually dropped out of school. Um, you know, it's kind of floundering, and then um, th that first year, I, when I say I dropped out, I finished my first year, and I didn't plan on going back. I didn't re-enroll, and then at the end of the summer, I was, I was so um, confounded by this: what am I going to be? What am I going to do? And I, I thought, well, if I don't go back to school, I'm really starting down the path of I'm going to turn into something that I don't know what and I, I so school was my escape going back to school was was somehow a way of delaying that process from happening I can go back to school and and still work on figuring out what I was going to become and that's when I ran into Richard Rose and he put the thought in my head he said my god you know what you could become is a seeker you, you could become the person whose soul whose mission in life is to figure all these questions out and that was actually a valid uh, a valid endeavor and so with simultaneously a um, huge escape, because it kind of, uh, you know, gave me the answer I couldn't figure out, uh, it, it allowed me to rationalize, oh yeah, that's perfectly okay, I don't, have to, I don't have to pick a career, I don't have to figure all this other stuff out, what I'm going to do is dedicate myself to um, a spiritual quest. So, yeah, he, mm -hmm. he made me, he made me, the other thing about him is he, he, um, you could pick something up around him that he didn't just talk about it you could feel that it was real so you know intellectually he made you aware of something called a spiritual path enlightenment uh, books and uh, teachings things that you could do and then you could f you could feel something about this person uh, something you know otherworldly uh, some some in really intense energy and so that was inspirational. So I kind of, you know, he, he, that was definitely a, um, he, he changed the arc of my life. After, you know, meeting, meeting going, attending that first lecture, it was an introductory lecture on Zen, which I had no uh, knowledge whatsoever about other than that the word existed. What would you say, I know that you spent many, many years with Richard Rose, what would you say would be the, uh, one or two greatest lessons, if you will, that you learned from him? Making a commitment 
you know um, that if you if you wanted to if you wanted to find anything else anything out, you had to resolve that you were going to find something out, and you, you it wasn't enough to just say okay I want to I want to find an answer that you had to really you had to live it. Um, so uh, that and and the other thing that I always um, that was maybe even bigger bigger to me back then is he really made me um, keenly aware of our capacity to delude ourselves uh, that, you know rationalization and our ability to lie to ourselves uh, so I, I, I kind of I think I always, always suspected that intuitively so when I heard somebody talk extensively about that it just it just rang bells and resonated with me and uh, you know his his teaching was was so uh, I don't know if generic is the right word but you know it wasn't it, it didn't get into any kind of dogma or specific uh, concept structures uh, like I uh, later read about in readings on Zen or Gurdjieff Uspensky I mean it's pretty basic common sense stuff you know you you, you gotta uh, you know first know thyself first know yourself and you know how are you gonna do that well you know what, what tools do you have you've got your your senses in your mind and uh, so you can you can start uh, you know and look and you you have yourself to look at how you're living your life the actions you what do you do why do you do that what, what you do what motivates you um, and as you're looking at that stuff, to realize that you have the capacity to um, rationalize, meaning you don't see clearly. So that be, kind of became an obsession for me. I, I, I wanted to I wanted to see clearly. And I I remember um, when I was uh, younger, I, I used to saying go back to middle, uh, like grade school, fifth, sixth grade. I remember I used to get this this image or vision in my head that. There was a perspective that, like, uh, you could, if you could uh, rise up off the earth and look down from some very high place, you could kind of see, see everything and understand the whole, understand what, how it all worked, what it was all about. I don't know that I articulated it to myself that way, but I just kind of had this picture in the back of my head. Um, so I think that. Running into Rose kind of uh, dovetailed with that, or uh, ins you know, inspired, or resonated with that. Yeah. Now I I know that at a certain point, um, I may have the story wrong, but you essentially decided to give up on the on the spiritual path. And uh, can you tell a little bit about what led to that? Yeah, I had been. Um, at this for I don't know I met Rose when I was 19 uh, and let's see when I was was in into my mid 30s anyway I think when I moved out to my cabin Rose was getting sick at the time and you know I, I after, you know after 20 years goes by and, and you 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 start to think about well what What's what are you doing with your life? Where have you gotten? Right, right. <laughs> and you, you know when you uh, I, <clears throat> when you live by yourself, 
you know, I was living in isolation. I, I was I was working. I was self-employed, so I basically had a full-time job. I mean, I kept busy, but when you live alone and in all the quiet spaces between when you're preoccupied with something, um, you're, you're, you, you have to face yourself. You know, you, there's nothing else to look at. And so things start bubbling up in your in your mind, and I I kind of realized that you know if I that I'd been kidding myself that I'd on the one hand I I was trying to make this path my top priority and and follow you know live my life according to all the the uh, teachings of Rose you know doing group work meditating every day all that stuff um, being celibate. And but on the other hand, I felt like you know I just I I never was a hundred percent committed. And there's always this part of me that wanted to be in the world, wanted to um, you know progress in my career and have a family. And, and I don't know. I just got. To, I just remember I, I had a vision one day in my in the cabin. I used to uh, drive into uh, Elm Grove to use the YMCA. I'd swim there and use their shower. Uh, and I was driving in one day, and I just, I kind of had a had a vision in, in my mind of like, okay, we're, if twenty fast forward twenty years from then, you know, if I, if if I never found uh, an ultimate answer, if I never got enlightened, what what it what would I at least want out of life? And uh, in that moment, driving the car, kind of just, you know. Um, it just seemed really clear to me. I, I wanted, at a minimum, I, I wanted to be able to look back on my life and, and feel like I had at least experienced life, you know, and, and was part of humanity. I, I felt so detached from humanity. I mean, I lived like a hermit, you know, even though, um, even when I wasn't mm-hmm. living in my cabin and I was still lived alone and kind of didn't participate in life. I, I didn't join groups. I wasn't, didn't social, you know, other than, um, pyramid zen group meetings and that sort of thing i really didn't have i didn't live like the average person did i lived basically like a monk but i wasn't in a monastery and i just realized that that wasn't satisfying me and if i never got an answer if i was honest with myself i at least wanted to um, die having been connected and with other people and having had relationships I don't mean a you know one-on-one man-woman relationship, but I mean just uh, like the family I'd grown up in. I grew up my my mom's family. They had like eight. I think there were nine nine kids in it. So I had eight aunts and uncles on her side of the family, and which spawned hundred well over a hundred cousins. All the weddings I went to growing up, there were never less than a hundred people at, and it was a very tight-knit family. So I, I started to value you know that that kind of a lifestyle where you had a lot of relationships with different people. Uh, So I just kind of thought, you know, it hasn't happened. Rose hasn't sent that wheelbarrow for me. and I'm kidding myself. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to pretend I'm on this fence. I'm just going to put both feet on the other side of the fence. I'm going to put myself out there, uh, circulate, see if I maybe meet somebody could end up getting married and just pursue my career and, and, and stop reading books or meditating, you know, just, and so that's what I did. But I had, by that time I uh, had this mental vector, this um, 
vector of my attention after all those years there was a momentum of a direction in my looking that I could you know it's kind of like a flywheel you can you can you can suddenly stop giving it a little push to keep it going you can stop doing that and then the flywheel keeps spinning all by itself so while living this mundane life uh, there was still this inner this this what, what Rose would call a reverse vector so the vector of my attention was uh, away from external experience and inward towards inner experience and then even beyond that what's behind behind that and I didn't think consciously about it I was just kind of that would become my default mode of thinking particularly particularly if anything any conflict of any kind arose which which is what happens to everybody so I think that process for me that's universal happens to everybody uh, and the difference is one of um, a commitment and desire I you know I I thought you were in in thinking about the call that I thought you know I'm going, one of the questions he's probably going to ask me is like what do you think is the most important thing that somebody can do <laughs> on a spiritual path and you know I've, I've such a terrible question I would never ask such a thing I mean I've I've written a lot of notes over the years and made a few speeches and all that and and you know I sometimes I think the older I get the less certainly the less dogmatic I get the less the less sure I am about any formulations, but um, some things become more uh, firm. You know, the, the more generic, I guess, the more generic things become more firm. And you know, Rose talked about commitment. You have to, uh, you know, you have to uh, act. You have to. You have to. You have to. Um, there, uh, a there's this philosopher called Kierkegaard, which I haven't studied, but I remember in high school I stumbled on this book in the library, and the title of it was Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And that really captivated my mind for some reason, and so I got that book and I, I, I read it, and I don't think I understood 95% of it, but the, the title always stuck with me. And I think that's that's the that's it, but I, uh, will to me is... Uh, questionable. I mean, there, there, you can really debate how much will anybody has. So I would say purity of heart is to desire one thing. And you have to want an answer. And everybody wants an answer. Um, the difference is, is you know, how, how do you, how do you, um, which desires, well, you know, purity is, you have to want one thing. So, you know, you at certain times in your life, you want you know you want different things more than other things. In, in my case, you know, there there seemed there was some th that desire was a common constant thread uh, through my life, and obviously I didn't articulate it that way to myself. But I wanted to know God. You know, my the way I translated as a young boy is I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to know God, and I, I that formulation came from my Catholic teaching. You know, so this inner desire uh, got cloaked in that verbiage. Uh, but then when I uh, moved away from the Catholic faith, you know, I think by the time I graduated from high school, I just, you know, I wasn't a Catholic anymore. Um, but I still had this desire. So then I, I ran into Richard Rose. And, you know, so I, I had a completely different, um, much better formulation of it. 
Uh, and one of the things, he, you know, this thing about commitment, uh, you can only have one top priority. So you can't satisfy every desire. So the thing to do is to choose the ones that you're going to focus on. And, you know, that's what I did. That's what I did with him for those 20 years. I, you know, I, I, I think in the first year I met him, I sold my, I sold my record collection, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, those those albums today, those vinyl albums today, would be pretty pretty uh, valuable. Um, <laughs> and you know, I I started reading philosophical books. I started meditating, and then saw. So, and the more I did that, the more it it kind of increased that desire. It gave it more prominence. So I, I guess getting back to the idea of purity of heart is to desire one thing. I started to turn away from lesser desires and and remember. You know, that's the other thing I, I always say is a daily remembrance, and that's I kind of because of my Catholic upbringing, I was I was trained and conditioned, you know, to say prayer daily prayer. So when I that kind of morphed into uh, a daily remembrance of this desire, and then. You know, it's not enough to just desire something. You have to actually um, manifest. You have to act on it. You have to pr demonstrate to yourself that you're sincere and that you're not just making it up by by actually doing something. And that becomes a mutually reinforcing cycle. You know, you you want something, therefore you do something in service to that want, and you know, it, it reinforces to the mind that yes that is what I want and then if if um, to the degree you're successful it re reinforces it even more and to the, to, to the degree that you're not successful the fact that the, you made the effort still reinforces it so you know if you start feeding other desires uh, it starts to displace that you, know, you get into um, different forms of dissipation um, it just you 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 split yourself. The thing the thing about one of the things I've uh, Rose harped about getting back to this rationalization and that I've uh, you know learned and it's gotten just reinforced and reinforced over the years is just how utterly and totally mechanical our our thoughts. You know your uh, the the thoughts always uh, thoughts are utterly and totally reactionary and always follow the body so I mean I, I kind of intuited that even at the very beginning after meeting Rose when I'd sit in meditation and you know start the meditation by think uh, recalling some affliction some conflict or really like uh, past conflict or trauma basically any affliction to the sense of self uh, the idea was to just to just to look at it, and it, that would evoke a lot of thoughts. Well, at some point, you know, I'd, I'd suddenly become aware how sucked in the thinking about it that I became, and then I realized, no, 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 that's I'm sure that's a dead end. That just becomes a, a kind of like a, a loop of uh, just a noise, and so I'd turn my attention away from that and go back to just looking at the original seed thought of like the whatever the conflict was you know let's say you know you, you had some experience where somebody made you angry or somebody made you feel bad about yourself to me the important the thing to look at is that feeling 
not to analyze it because uh, behind that feeling uh, is a uh, it's raising a the, what I equate with the Zen doubt sensation. If if you if you um, have any kind of conflict or something makes you angry, it, it, the anger comes from being you're some form of threat behind it. Uh, or if you feel bad mm-hmm. about yourself, well then you're even closer to that threat. So uh, it casts doubt on who and what you are, and that's very confounding to the mind. You know, your whole purpose in life is to is to validate yourself, to validate who and what you are in this existence, not go in the other direction. So it, it, staring at that, you're on uh, anyone that's in that um, at, at, when you have that focus of attention when when the doubt sensation is the object of your attention you're right on you're right on um on the edge of being able to see uh, to transcend um the self and even though you could be right on the edge and it seems like well boy it would be so simple to just go you know to for that to happen um everything about the machinery is is just knee-jerk instantaneously in the opposite direction because you 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 this this flywheel that started spinning probably even in the womb uh, by the time you make it to you know an, an age where you think about this sort of stuff that flywheel has got so much mass and so much um, momentum to spinning everything into something that reinforces your identity and and validates uh, that this I am me, uh, this sense of self is real. Um, that you, you everything you, you immediately spin it. So, um, pain, you know, pain gets uh, something that challenges you gets actually spun into something that validates you. Hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. pleasure, pleasure to validate you. You know, pleasure, pleasure. No, no, ple- nobody ever. I never heard of anybody becoming introspective or reflective, or philosophical, um, after some uh, pleasurable. Or you know, they they won a million bucks, or they got a job promotion, or or somebody you know just told them how wonderful they are, or they did something that reflects back to them how wonderful they are. It doesn't make them ref- uh, introspective. Pain makes people uh, reflective, but as soon as they look at the pain, they start to spin it around. Like you know, an easy example of that is uh, when you get into an argument or, or somebody offends you, your your mind just generates a deluge of thought about you know that justifies yourself, why you were correct, why they were wrong, um, and so you do this in your own mind when you you know if you look at if you're trying to look ask yourself a question well why did I behave this way why did how did I end up how did I end up where I am you know why did I make that decision the mind instantly goes in the direction of rationalizing justifying um, because it's all about affirming the self never you're no one's ever going to diminish themselves unless they're a masochist but then that's a that's a negative form of affirm of affirmation you know, it affirms that you know, they've got some twisted uh, negative concept of themselves, and they're going to affirm that. So, it, 
keep me with this idea of of purity of intent, I believe you said, or purity of desire. Well, desire. I mean, Kierkegaard used the word will, and I said, well, what, you know, just substitute it with purity of heart is to desire one thing. My question is, one might look at the 20 years that you spent with Richard Rose and reading and meditating and, and being hermit-like, and then look at the time uh, in which you moved back into being more engaged with the world and getting married and having children and so forth, and might say, well, the former uh, was clearly uh, greater purity of, of heart than the latter. What would you say to that? Well, uh, I'd go back to the, the the vector idea. I mean, basically, the spiritual path is a uh, is a reverse vector. That was Rose's teaching. You know, is a what is the direction of your attention? What what is the object of your attention? Uh, and you know, so when I when I pulled away, when I stopped making. Uh, effort or, or stop um, imagining you know I was living a life a certain way and had had a certain goal in mind and threw that overboard um, yeah I'm, I'm the the I'm, I'm struggling for words or how to how to say this so so when I in my in my daily work, you know, obviously I'd, I'd go to work and I'd be I'd lose myself in my and I, I did a lot of computer programming, so you know my my the object of my attention while I'm writing a computer program is writing logic, you know, writing code. Um, but then when you when you stop uh, when when your attention focuses on something, when you're not focused on anything, where does your where where does your attention land? What is its resting point? And particularly when um, if something happens, like let's say an, an uncle dies, or you know you're, you're, you you witness the birth of your first child, or you know you just just live you're living a life. You know, for me, um, my my attention just seemed to be collapsing in on itself. I'd be uh, the the it would it would just turn in inward. Um, I don't know how else to say it. So it was like the I'd been trying to l look behind the curtain for twenty, twenty-five, thirty years, and when I stopped trying, my that's the direction that my attention went in when I wasn't looking at anything else, and so the mm -hmm. process kept going. Would you call that habit? Just a habit of mind that you had developed over years. Yeah, you could you could use the word habit, but I really think it's um, yeah. It's, I, I, I like the word vector because uh, it, it, we we if you think about it, we we lose our, we lose ourselves in experience. I mean, our 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 entire life is is just one big experience, and um, the the person who's having the experience that person is part of the experience it's like uh so we're we're lost in that and so the the attention is totally outwardly focused so if, if the if you if you fast forward and think okay what are you going to what, what what's the object of your attention going to be when you're on your deathbed um it you know it might be 
fear. It might be, uh, you know, assuming, you know, you don't know what your mental condition is going to be. But you're, you're constantly looking at experience. So the, to me, the spiritual path is, is reversing um, the vector of the attention. And instead of looking at experience, start to, you know, become the witness. You know, like instead of getting, uh, sitting in the movie theater and being totally lost in the story on the screen, you, the attention kind of turns around and oh, all of a sudden you realize you're sitting in a chair watching a movie and then you start looking at that person sitting in the chair and think look, and looking at his reactions and saying oh look at he's he's getting angry at that character and he's getting really sad at this other character uh and then you start to see the patterns of 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 that you know um that character um so that's a that's a a, dire- a different direction of the attention you're kind of withdrawing it from I guess it's, it, it, it suggests that there's layers of experience, and and there are. I mean, you know, there your 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 most immediate experience is the experience of yourself, and that's the last. You know, that's one of the last things that you can actually see as an experience. And that would be uh, ego one that you were referring to earlier that core yeah i mean i i, I don't i don't want i don't want to make too much of the ego one ego two thing because you know they're really there's there's only one sense of self it's just a, a, a <laughs> right. mental mental concoction um that you know you can you could you could ask yourself a question and then you could answer it <laughs> And it's like, right. like I think Rose wrote a poem one time. He said, "If there's, if there's, if you answer, if if you ask a question and hear the sound of your own voice answering it, how many people are speaking?" <laughs> so they right ego one, and ego two, both have the core word of ego there, and so they're variations of a theme, if you will. Yeah, I think it, I think the, the Poyan's point was that it was just a the, uh, it's just another way of how how we trick ourselves, how we lie to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, another, another example of that is somebody who let's say somebody's a bully, he lives his life like a bully, and but he has this self concept, this self image that he's just such a wonderful, compassionate person. He can't see that he's a bully. And if so, you know, so there's there. He's like split. There, he's two different people. He's he's uh, the personality that acts one way, and then the personality who spins it to himself another way because he wants to see himself a certain way. And anything that uh, that happens to make him see the bully, he turns away from. You know, so that same sort of pattern can happen with somebody on a spiritual path where they. Um, they say, "Oh, I'm. I see that I'm. 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 I'm transcend. You know, I'm not. I'm not the bully. I'm just. And, uh, and I forgive that bully." <laughs> so, uh, Puyan, who's who's Alfred Puyan, uh, I understand that at some point after you left Richard Rose's farm, you came across this correspondence between Alfred Puyan, who was a rather obscure Zen master and Richard Rose. And uh, what, what, what effect or what, how did that catalyze your search coming across that correspondence? 
Well, the, 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 the context of that was is that I, I was, something was unfolding in me. You know, I, I, we, we talked about how I, I made the decision to stop my spiritual path. I got married in, in less than a year. I got married, moved to a different city, and my wife got pregnant. So we had, had bought a house, changed jobs, essentially, you know, and had a baby all in less than 12 months. So that was a lot of, a lot of stress or uh, change. And relatives started dying. And I started to feel like I was just, um, had let go, you know, I mean, I hadn't consciously let go, but I had started to feel like I was on this, uh, definitely was uh, losing control, was on this toboggan, and their life was moving past me. And I was, you know, uh, kind of using the car analogy, I was in the center of all this uh, stuff happening around me, and it was changing my perspective, and, and I was, be, I was, finding myself getting more and more moved by things I you know I remember when I was searching for a house in Raleigh I I, I remember one house I had to get out of as fast as I could before I started weeping because it was a, a resale of a, a couple elderly woman who you know she was at the end of her life and the house was just dripping with all the memorabilia of her life and I could just see the arc of a whole lifetime of an, another family come and go and it just you know made me feel like I was receding and seeing this you know the the circle of life sort of thing it was it was dramatic and moving to me anyway so that was kind of going on in the background and I at the same time I decided well you know maybe I I, I, I should start making some effort to get you know do something on a spiritual level and so Art Tickner had proposed this idea of the IO ignoramuses online have a have a confrontation group done through email and so he engineered some logistics to make it uh, workable you know so you don't have you know an uh, endless cross threads mushrooming into an unmanageable amount of email it was very structured mm -hmm. and so we decided to do it around these pull-in letters that um, you know uh, were, were as you said, they were Rose's correspondence with this Zen teacher, and Rose always had talked about Pullian as somebody that uh, he learned of after he had his realization, and uh, he was struggling trying to figure out like how do you how do you go about talking to people about this stuff? How do you, how would you teach him? How would you help somebody uh, arrive at this realization? And uh, he learned about Pullian, who was supposedly a Zen master, who. You know, uh, knew how to transmit, and Rose always claimed that he learned how to transmit from Pullian. So anyway, I had these letters, and we were, and I made up my mind that I was I was not going to just read this um, stack of letters like a book and read through them. I was going to instead read them one by one, separated in time, as if they were written to me, as if they were as if I were corresponding with Pullian. And so I read the first letter. Uh, and oh, it, uh, I was also um, in this IO group. I think I I did the first letter, so I was the, the monitor for the first uh, round. There were like three three rounds of of we would <clears throat> somebody would read a letter, write write an email about it, post questions from it, and then everybody else would read that same letter, read my questions, and they would respond, and then I would respond to their questions, kind of confronting them on their responses. They would respond back again, and then I would respond back. So that on the third round, that constituted one round. And then 
the next person would become the monitor and take the next letter. So anyway, I read this first letter and it was um, something about the the tone of the letter really came across to me that um, how serious. I mean, I just it, it put, struck me like, wow, this guy is the, he, this is the real deal. He's this guy knows, and and mm -hmm. he's really sincere and and intense. Uh, so I read that letter, and then I don't know. So three, I guess three weeks went by. I, I don't remember exactly. The, uh, I always have to go back and search notes to figure out dates and exact sequence. But anyway, um, it became my turn again for another letter and I was reading and I was by the way I was you know I, I was my personal life I had a lot of stress at the time it's like I my wife wasn't working you know I had a I had a big mortgage I had a baby um, and I was self-employed and I was making a living off of um, obsolete software software I'd written that was a DOS based software and you know Windows Windows was becoming the, 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 the world and I couldn't I, and my system needed to be completely rewritten and I, I couldn't do that because I, I, I had to, I couldn't learn how to do it and actually do it and s do the work to service my existing customers that generated my income so I was in a quandary and I just I just figured this thing is I, I just lived in fear daily fear that the whole thing was just going to collapse <laughs> and I was going to lose everything um, so I didn't know, but I just kept, I didn't know what else to do other than to stay on that treadmill and just keep, you know, riding that horse until it collapsed. So I was busy and I remember it was, I was, uh, coming up against the deadline for having to write this stuff. This was a, this, these IO sessions were a tremendous amount of work. Uh, you know, because you had to you had to read the letter and then be very very thoughtful and and write stuff down and then in, then you had to do that with like I don't know like eight people in the group. Anyway, so I I thought well it was like eleven o'clock one night and I thought I'll 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 at least I'll read this next letter and just kind of throw it into the hopper and it could be stewing simmering in the background. And I remember I was really, really tired, uh, so I read this uh, letter from him. And this other letter was he's going through the series of he's answering a series of questions that Rose posed to him. I didn't have Rose's side of the correspondence, but I I knew Rose well enough that you know I could kind of fill in blanks in in certain places. And so when he started answering these questions, and he got to the one that it, where Pullian says regarding the question. I knew immediately which question he was talking about because Rose always talked about that uh, the, uh, every religion or philosophy needed to answer three questions in order to be a complete philosophy and that was you know where did I come from who am I and where am I going so the the, the, the regarding the question had to do with where, what where are you going what happens to you when you die and Pullian's answer that to that question um, basically he pulled the rug out from under me. Um, he the, the the question was. Let me see. He he wrote it uh, regarding the question. Um, uh, the body dies uh, and is dissipated, which you know most people, everybody knows that. Nobody argues with that. So okay, yeah, I'm I'm right with you there. Yeah, my my mind is locked on your. You know, I was already f intently focused on this letter. 
and 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 this, of course, this, this happened quickly, right? Because I'm reading this; it, it doesn't take that long to read it as it does to talk about it. So, so the the body uh, dies and is dissipated. Uh, the mind, which is at all times one with the body, likewise perishes and is dissipated. That was kind of a, a jaw dropper for me because. Um, you know, I mean, I I didn't I didn't resist the idea, and it just made sense to me. It struck me as as true, and I, I had to, you know, most everybody has this idea that the mind and the body are completely separate things, and that you know you you can you can start cutting, chopping parts of the body off until you get you know if you if you could somehow keep the uh, heart and the lungs, you know if you if you chopped everything off at the waist and including your arms as long and you get up to the head as long as you have the, the head left your 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 brain your mind, then you're intact you're exactly the same, and what Pullian was saying, is that they're they're they're, they're inseparable. And there's no difference. The body, the, the mind, uh, which is at all, I don't know if I just quoted it this way, but he said the mind, which is at all times one with the body. I left that out, I think. He said the mind, which is at all times one with that body, likewise perishes and is dissipated. And that kind of, that was kind of like, uh, I think that uh, did what Rose would call knocked my head on dead center. Because that, that kind of stopped my, that stopped me from thinking. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, they're, you know, they're, 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 you can't really, if you're honest, if you, if you think about it and don't um, fantasize, for all you know, I mean, that's absolutely true. So, so he had me locked on that thought, and then he, uh, the body, which is at all times one with the, uh, the mind, which is at all times one with that body, likewise perishes and is dissipated. Nothing of you will remain. And um, my it cracked my head open, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, because in 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 that instant, uh, it's like I, I I became something, something I was, something that uh, was not was neither the body or the mind, and. It, it, the the, uh, the brilliance of those words when I when I thought about him is you know he didn't say he didn't say um, nothing remains he said nothing of you remains well you you can't intellectually answer the question like like if he had said well what do you think remains if you subtract everything that's not you no one can no one can parse that that as soon as you you start trying to parse a phrase like that that's when the the spinning uh, kicks in, and whatever you come up with is uh, is something that affirms the sense of self. Uh, but that's that progression for for me in the circumstance at that moment. It was the, it was my brick in the pavement, and um, I, it. But but the the really odd thing was it was so late. I was so tired, uh, and I I didn't know. It's like, well, how do you react? What what was I going to do? I mean, what would my next reaction be? Uh, I mean, I was on, I was kind of on this autopilot treadmill. Um, I, I felt dissociated. I just felt really strange. But I, I needed, I had to go to bed. I was dead tired. So I remember I, I walking down the hallway to my bedroom, um, you know, feeling really strange. 
I got ready for bed and, and I sat on the side of the bed and you know kind of looked at um, I don't know how to how to describe this but it's like I'm my attention is still turned in in inside of itself my attention is I'm totally um, my attention is totally locked in this other other place and yet there's this body going down you know this body getting ready for bed and so this uh which i'm aware of so it's like i'm, I'm dissociated but still seeing this it was kind of like an out of body experience but I, I think that's a poor way to describe it um anyway so i went to bed and i woke up the next morning and my first conscious thought was you know is is that is, am i still feeling is that is it still there you know do i still have this strange um perception for for lack of a better word and so I did and I couldn't shake it but I I didn't have time to like I'm convinced if I had if I had um, if I just stopped and sat to meditate I probably would have um, somehow knocked fought my way out of this and and buried it somehow anyway so I went back to work uh, you know, got totally lost myself in my programming or whatever. But I, I, I noticed that every time I st- stopped, every time my attention was not locked on, uh, focused externally, like it, like if I had to move from my chair uh, ten feet to the right to go to the printer to get a piece of paper out of, in that space where I wasn't totally absorbed in something else, I would snap back into this other dissociated sense and mm-hmm. you know my and my wife's downstairs with a baby by the way you know she's we're because uh, my office was upstairs over the kitchen and she's down there uh, taking taking care of the, the baby and doing household stuff and whatever um so this went on for i don't know weeks a few weeks a couple weeks at least a couple weeks i don't remember exactly how long uh and and remember i didn't have i didn't have any alone time i mean my i, I was you know, really, I mean, I, I, I didn't, and I didn't have a meditational discipline, so it's not like I went up to my room every night at nine o'clock and sat and meditated. Uh, so I was, right. um, and I think that was a good thing. Um, so uh, one day I had, I was um, particularly, you know, it was extra intense this, this one day, and I was more, I was getting um, more obsessed with it, trying to understand what was going on in me. And I get in the car and I, I went out to um, run run some errand and uh, driving down Glenwood Avenue in Raleigh, there was just kind of a hilly, uh, like where Ebenezer Church Road hits 70, Glenwood heading in towards Raleigh, it's kind of hilly and you go past some parkland and, and I remember going up and down uh, one of these hills and like I'm, t- again, I'm on autopilot in the car, I'm totally in, in my head looking at this. Um, and I, uh, it just, I, I said, I said to myself, what is this? You know, I, uh, I don't know if I actually said that, but it was kind of like that mental, like, eh. and in that moment, everything complete, it's like the, uh, the other shoe dropped, so to speak, it, it, everything completely flipped around. And then, um, I, my sense of self, Bob Sergal, everything that I was, was external and out there uh, with every other object. And, and, and there was like the, uh, I was, there was just this pure awareness. 
Um, and I remember uh, shaking my head and mumbling out to myself out loud, there is no death. There is no death. There is no death. And, and, and the reason I was saying is that because I, I was seeing that there was nothing to die, that that all of it, including my 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 very identity, the my, the very I am Bob Sergal, was was just something being witnessed. It was an experience the same as the my eyeballs were looking out and seeing the tree, the the the, the line of trees in the sky and everything else. And it's a wonder I didn't you know it's a wonder I didn't get into an accident. But you know you it's amazing how our bodies drive our, these cars on autopilot you know I've, we've all had the experience of driving a hundred miles and all of a sudden your exit comes up or maybe you miss the exit because you have no and you have no recollection of having driven the car <laughs> um, right so I remember the other thing I, uh, on my way home uh, so I, I on the way home I was thinking uh, like well, where does like okay so what what if I turned around the corner of my house uh, uh, my street and saw my house in flames and my and, and my family inside was trapped they're gonna die and I I saw how I saw this Bob Sergal you know the 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 suffering that that would cause him but it was like it was all just out there and, and everything was on uh, on, uh, on an equal plane it was all the same it was just all one big dream one big um you know it wasn't real it was it was just it was it was an experience being witnessed and the the, the witness you know after after that i all these phrases from rose's uh poem the three books of the absolute to this day they they still just constantly bubble up in my mind you know one of the things he he writes in in here in there is the you know the uh, who who speaks words with my voice? Who hears words with my ears? Um, you know, for the 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 keeper of the house is gone, and all that remains testifies that he never was. You know, stuff like that. Uh, it's like that stuff. I mean, it had a epic feel and sound to it when I heard those words over all those years. But I never, they never really. I mean, I never really grasped. It, it, what the meaning behind them was how you couldn't you can't i mean nobody can mm -hmm. you can i don't care how many times you hear it, how many books you've read unless you've actually been through that realization you don't know what he's talking about and you know so i think the the a lot of the 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 i mean i had so many of these experiences over the years with rose where sitting in rapport or just walking to his house and uh Seeing the peaceful sense of eternality and timelessness, like in being immersed in that, and how pleasant it was, and how profound it was. Um, but it was, you know, I was always fully 100% intact as me having that experience. And so I could have, you know, if I didn't, probably if I didn't have the. Um, perspective of rose at the time i you know if, if that sort of stuff happened to me on my own and i was reading alan watts or many other books i might i might tell myself hey i'm enlightened you know that's it that's the final experience and then i wouldn't have you know maybe i wouldn't have maybe i would have stopped looking do you think that a 
a person who had purity of heart, that that could happen to them? Or would they somehow know that that, that wasn't the final answer? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I, I guess if, yeah, well, I mean, you could, I could imagine that someone like that, if they're, um, I, I guess it depends how, if, whether that answer satisfied them. Because if right. if the worm started to turn again, and they were honest with themselves, and they had had that uh, vector, um, the momentum of having um, pushed their attention in a certain direction for many years, and, and they were, you know, maybe they'd realize, oh, you know, this, this there's there's got to be something more because I still don't feel I've solved the riddle. Over the years, I've literally had. I don't know, a dozen people maybe I've come across that have had that question of, wow, something just happened to me. Am I enlightened? Did you, when when this moment occurred in the car while you were driving or in, in, in days after that, did you ever have that question of, well, gosh, am, am I enlightened? Is this it? Am I done? not 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 really i mean what what happened is you know my my the intensity of this um you know it, it was pretty intense for quite a while and then it started to you know it would, would wax and wane uh, you know i'd go on business trips and I'd, i remember on one of the first business trips i went on after this I, uh, when I was on site and interacting with people, it was it was weird. Boy, sometimes I, I just felt like I was uh, was in a um, in a complete dream, and and uh, people were not alive. You know, it's like the there were these um, mannequins, these these shells I was interacting with, but there was a the the life was. Um, uh, omnipresent and you know it was like in the air the only thing that was real was the this living presence uh, omnipresence I guess um, but I couldn't dwell on that so I'd engage in work and everything so th there was that kind of intensity but the my mind when I, I would I would try to explain this stuff to myself I started was trying to try to analyze what what because you know I'm I, I've I've got a body and a mind and a brain and, and a history of experience and and I'm I'm spinning stories about how this all worked. So, one of the one of the first things I thought about was, um, you know, but Rose, you know, uh, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. This doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like how could, uh, you know, Rose always thought of. Uh, I I just contrasted my the experience of of this realization with Rose's description of his. And so I, I thought about that, but the but through all that, I I, I mean I would I never had any doubt. Uh, you know, the, it's it, I can't. It's like what what else? There can't be anything. I mean, once you when I don't know. I I, I don't know how to say it other than I, anyone who's had that realization, you just know that's that's it. You, you don't have any doubt in your mind and and you know someone rightfully could say well how do you know you're not deluding yourself well you know I at the end of the day there's no way to prove it or convince somebody else and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks and and at the end of the day you know you're you're your own authority you're either sat if you're satisfied with your answer um, then Either you've got the answer or you've deluded yourself, but 
I guess it doesn't really make any difference. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, you know, I, I, right. you know, I remember um, uh, Dave Gold uh, harassed me, well, that's too strong of a word, but he he would talk to me along the lines of, you know, like, like don't you feel compelled to, you know, like, get out there and do stuff you know, be, and become a teacher it's like honestly sean you know this this idea of, of teaching i i don't like it i don't i mean uh, to the extent that i write anything or talk to anybody i do it out of a sense of obligation but you know if, if i'd never be calling you and saying hey sean why don't you interview me you know you mm-hmm. ask and say, okay yeah okay um uh, you know, I, who knows? Maybe if nobody ever asked me five years go by, maybe I'd build up uh, just a, a unstoppable motivation that I would have to write something and I'd write a book. But I've, I've been busy for, you know, raising a family. I'm, I'm about done with that. But I'm, I still have a lot of bills to pay, so I, I, I still work a lot of, put a lot of energy into work. I'm, I'm getting tired of it, but I'm 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 at the I'm getting at the, I see the light at the end of that tunnel, but I I never felt like any any compulsion to turn my life upside down. I didn't feel any you know like Dave thought I should. If you had a realization like that, that the next day you'd quit your job, and you'd you you know you'd and you just you you turn your life upside down. And no, I didn't I didn't make any changes about the only change that I made in my life was I actually started uh, in the mornings before I went to work I would I would sit mm-hmm. in silence mm-hmm. and you know I might sit for two minutes I might sit for 18 minutes and just I would sit however long and, and, and until it felt like I had return return I hate to use the word but you know until I return to this place I don't I mean I have to use that say it that way to to find the words to describe it um and the other thing i remember is is i would it became a paradox to me it's like well what happens to me well like uh, it's like i'm in this i'm in this e this um you know basically i'm god i'm 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 omnipresent i i'm i'm eternal and and i'm so aware of this uh, of my being and then I sit in front of the keyboard and start writing some lines of code, and then I'm lost. I'm totally, totally gone. And then I, I, when I stop doing that, I come back. And so I became obsessed with this idea. I, I, when that would happen, I'd stop and think, well, where, what happened to me? Where did the, if this? How could this be? How could that ever not be there? And every time I did that, it would become immediately obvious to me that. Ah, I was there all along. It's I didn't. It, it it didn't disappear. That awareness never disappeared. I would I would I when I would stop and look back on it, um, that interval of time, I realized that oh yeah, it it was there all along. I just wasn't paying attention to it. And when I just look, I I can I recognize that it was there the whole time. And I don't I don't know if that makes sense, but it's 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 not like I looked at it and felt oh yeah I can remember what it felt like 20 minutes ago no what I saw is like ah it was there before I started focusing on programming and it was there all during that interval of writing the programming and it and now I'm just you know uh, I've turned the light beam on it I'm 
I've made that uh, front and center and my object of attention. It, I think people. I've, I've said. I've now. I've, I've said this in some talks because um, people talk about disappearing when they go to sleep, and the the awareness is unbroken uh, during during sleep. What what happens is there's no content. There's no content in consciousness to generate the the I sense. All all that's there is is pure being is is the light, if you will, you know the the light that makes the uh, that um, makes the face on the jack o' lantern visible and enlivened. Uh, so if you when somebody um, I've had this experience and I've I've mentioned to, to, to suggested that others could could do this if you when you wake up from a dream, sometimes you wake up and you're like you have a very it's like you're you have a clear sense of the dream and you're you're so you're wide awake and you're you're trying to remember the dream and you can't you're staring into the dream content trying to recall the content the content's hard to call recall but uh sometimes the feeling you know there's a there's a uh background of the dream that is much easier to focus on than the the specific content and so when your attention is locked on that and is is at some point that kind of drifts away, and now you're, and then for a moment you're not looking at anything, but your mind is still coasting. I think if you if somebody, uh, I wonder if that could even be a a, a practice for somebody that uh, you could do that and you'd 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 realize um, the awareness that the unbroken awareness that you are that went into sleep, came out of sleep, you know, is with you all day long. Uh, is always right behind you. That you 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 can't uh, not be surrounded by. Um, you know that was never born, never dies. That is is all that you are. You know, people have the idea that you know we we like to say, well, God is within. And and I always thought that too. Well, and there's something you know, something in each one of us. And and I think it's, I I I like to turn it around the other way. I don't think God exists within us as much as we abide within God, because. And I use just use the word God, which is probably a bad word, but anyway, it's. Um, all the words are bad words. All the words are bad, but you know, God doesn't need Bob Sergal to be. Bob Sergal needs God to be so I don't I don't think I can I'm not anterior to God himself that's that's the ego thing you know it's like that that's where I'm going to have an experience of God I'm you know I'm I'm more powerful than God and I'm going to contain God uh, when in reality the only way that I can realize my one my uh, oneness with God is and that I am God is by my dissolution and how this dissolute, how this dissolved thing, how how the how you can uh, drop a, take a drop of water and drop it in the ocean, and there's no boundaries. The drop disappears into the ocean. How can there be any? How can the drop have any awareness as a drop of the ocean? That that's inexplainable. Uh, the only you know then that's when my you know, people start to write poems or come up with crazy metaphors you know like um you know it's only like god realizing god it's the the the, the power 
you know, the, the power of attention doesn't belong to me. I'm not aware. Uh, there, there, there's a, there's a, the power of attention, the awareness is anterior to me. And it's like somebody, somebody drew a circle, the boundary of this body. You know, as soon as you draw a, a boundary, um, that, that boundary uh, takes on the properties of, of its source. Another way, another way of saying it is that even even God doesn't have the power to um, everything he touches is God. He doesn't have the power to split himself. Uh, another another image that I've had and uh, that's occurred to me is you know like um, I'm fascinated with mirror the, the uh, mirror images. If you if you so if if God holds up a mirror and starts to turn his turn his face and look in the mirror at just the instant when the eyes were going to make contact because everything God touches is God that reflection became enlivened and looked away <laughs> into that mirror world into that reflected world and, and spawned a whole creation that was it was just a reflection of of this uh, of the real God yeah well the thought uh, the thought uh, just came to me that I hope that people who who listen to those descriptions that you just gave those metaphors sit with those for a bit because that's your you're falling into poetry bob well one one of the with this mere thing one of the uh i questions i posed at some presentation and i i don't i don't think i did a very good job with it is the problem is you know, somebody has to sit with it on their own but just imagine if you you know we, we every morning most people I do, you know, I wash my face in front of, uh, over a sink in front of a mirror and I brush my teeth in front of a mirror, shave in front of a mirror, you know, so what, you know, so we walk in front of a mirror, we expect to see ourselves. Or what if you, you know, like you were, you, you were turning quickly in front of a mirror and turn there and as soon as you, you, you expect your, the object of your attention, you expect it to land on a reflection of yourself. You expect to see yourself reflected back. What if you did that and you saw nothing? Where would your attention land? I mean, the shock of not seeing yourself. It, then where would where what would you be looking at? Oh, maybe it's a crazy exercise, but but I to me it's kind of like a um, some sort of metaphor is how we're we're always staring into a mirror. Everything we look at, where the where our whole life experience is, is something that is we're using, or, or not that we're doing it delicious with will, but it, we're reflect. It's reflecting ourselves back. We're, we're, it, it's a reflection of us. So we're seeing ourselves. So if we can just stop looking externally at at the experience, at the reflection. And start looking uh, in the uh, in the opposite direction of you know what what is seeing you know look at the looker uh, the, and to use the old cliche you, you you can't do any of that volitionally though it's not like you can sit down and say I'm going to look at the looker I mean, you can you can make attempts and and they're uh, worthwhile to to do but. Uh, I think roses. What I hadn't encountered anywhere else, or I've seen, haven't seen written about, is his beginner's level meditation, which um, is 
not entirely just uh, relaxing and breathing or staring at the wall. It's okay, that's all preparatory just to kind of calm the body and mind down. But now um, look at yourself. How do you look at yourself? You look at yourself in action. So pick some past action that was a, an affliction to the sense of self look at something that called your your existence into question because that's what every affliction is no matter how trivial at the at the root you know when it when it echoes down the the the, the hall of mirrors at some point it's basically um do you really exist what's going to happen to you when you die so if you look at if you look at that sort of uh, an affliction to the sense of self that's the oblique indirect way of ans asking the question who am I I think it's the more effective way of asking the question because the, um, the, 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 the object of the attention is then looking uh, looking inward in a way that it transcends intellect and it may seem like you're spinning your wheels when you do that because it'll, you'll probably generate a lot of thought along the way. You can turn away from the thought and go back to just looking at that. Um, I think it's the most direct way of looking at the sense of self, asking the question, who am I? And then when you stop making the effort to do that, uh, something carries carries on it's like you're, you're you start doing that for, from a you know with with a sense of um, volition I'm gonna do this and you do it and you try to keep doing it and that process is the less important part of it I'm convinced I, I, I know this from my own experience that at the end of that meditation this, there, there's a looking that something there's there's some coasting there's some continued looking you've gotten closer to your source somehow I mean not that you can you know it's not that you can you can never get get away from your source but in terms of um, what are you looking at and so you're always looking at your sense of self and then through that sense of self you're looking at the world so how are you going to stop all that I think that's and I Rose is the only one I've ever come across that recommends that as a meditational discipline and calls it going within to me the, the process of going within is experienced as a loss of self so anyone that goes down this path uh, this with this kind of a meditation and it, it's along the way there the, the the obstacles that come up is that you know there's resistance nobody wants to lose themselves they want to they want to add to themselves and that's the conundrum with spiritual work spiritual path because no matter how much somebody may have intellectually learned or agreed uh, or read that oh yeah spiritual the realization is not adding to myself it's transcending myself it doesn't matter you can't uh, that's what you're you can't help yourself that's what everybody does the 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 they cannot conceive of removing themselves from the equation everything they do is is I'm on the path and I'm the one that's going to get the result and I'm the one that's going to be increased 
by the result mm -hmm. and benefit by mm -hmm. the result and you know that you can you can have wonderful experiences and and realizations along that way and probably become a better person <laughs> in the process even but uh, that's not uh, that's not what's going to remain of you after you die and it's possible before you die to know what that is through this through this this kind of a meditation discipline and and spiritual path of a reverse vector do you uh, certainly a question that that people have even after having listened to your description of of how enlightenment is not additive it's not about a person who becomes enlightened still people want to know after enlightenment is bob sergal is he any, is he any different the personality and is he is he happier is he is his life more peaceful is he more content about about money or relationships can you say anything towards that yeah that's that's kind of paradoxical because i've uh you know it's in some i could i could say that in some in many respects it's it's um it's made everything better in that uh you know i'm satisfied i'm satisfied on a, on a on a macro level on a on an existential level um, i mean i don't have any questions about i'm not afraid of death I'm not, uh, I'm not, I mean, I, 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 I'm content. I, I can, and I can, I can, uh, return to this place almost at will. And when I, when I say return to it, I mean, you know, again, it's never not with me, but, uh, I can, you know, the immediate, the immediacy of the, I don't know how to say it, you know, it's like, you know, uh, call it call it a mood even i mean i get i sometimes i just feel more less less down in the pig trough making a living and and being in this world other times i feel like i'm more uh outside of the world and i can i can it's not hard for me to get in that frame of mind when i want to i just have to withdraw my attention from um inward and so in that and so that's a benefit but you know I, on the flip side of that i i think it's made me more uh in, in my case anyway it's made me more susceptible to pain in in the sense of the you know the, the, this life uh can the whole drama that surrounds me it just becomes overwhelming at times it's too it's too poignant it's too like it's too um yeah it's too poignant i guess that's the best word you know i you, you find it in in poetry from the, the likes of the rubaiyat uh by omar khayyam you know it's like um you know the it stands as like uh, ah that spring should vanish with the rose that youth's sweet-scented manuscript should close the nightingale that in the branches sang ah whence and whither flown again who knows it's like there's I, I, I weep for the um, 
churning of the drama, the passing, you know, the birth and death of things. Um, you know, another line that I always think of from that poem, it's, it's not, maybe doesn't particularly seem profound, but it's very moving to me. Uh, he writes, I sometimes think that never blows so red the rose as where some buried Caesar bled, that every hyacinth the garden wears dropped in its lap from some once lovely head. And, and and this delightful herb whose tender green fledges the river's lip on which we lean, ah, lean upon it lightly, for who knows from what once lovely lip it springs unseen. You know, his that kind of writing kind of captures the, the mood that I fall into frequently. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I've asked myself the question, like, why, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't this realization make me feel continually joyful <laughs> or mm-hmm. you know um, I don't know I, I, I think it's because uh, it's just my personality it's my it's the body that I was born with and the nervous system I was born with and the and it's, it's my it's it's how this character reacts like I said there's a uh, Enlightenment is not an, an experience. It's it's a realization. I'm not even sure that that's an adequate word, but it's definitely not an experience. But there definitely is an intense experience of some sort associated with it, because um, there's there's a there's a mind, a person, a body, and a personality that remembers it and is associated with it, and that machinery reacts and so I have a certain reaction to it so I don't know I think it's I don't think it hasn't changed anything no one I don't I don't think you I would ever say anybody could ever say that this this is this is going to make things better it's not going to make things worse it's not going to fix things it's basically not going to change who I am I mean, in in terms of a personality, I mean, I may, uh, I'm not going to get as, uh, I can't get as uh, attached to things. You know, I just, I not, I was never obsessed with a career. I mean, I, I never felt like my career defined me, and uh, before the realization, but you know, if anything, less so after. It's like it's just not important. Uh, but I, I, I have to do it. And then I'm the type of personality that whatever I do, I'm I'm not going to do a half-assed job with. So I throw myself into it, and if, you know I'm either going to do a good job at what I'm working on, or I'm not going to do it at all. Well, I don't I don't want to keep you too much longer, Bob, but I I do want to ask that if if a person who listened to this wanted to get in touch with you or or meet up with you, what's the best way to go about that? <laughs> My, I really prefer communicating with people in writing, and um, I, I feel strongly that uh, when when somebody writes a letter, uh, they're 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 making something manifest. It's not just words that come out and disappear. It's like they have to they have to compose their thoughts, and they they and then they read they see what they just said on paper. And they maybe they edit it, and anyway, when so when I read somebody's letter, if if they if you know sometimes I'm moved by a letter, it evokes something in me, 
because they're the, it's like their voices inside my head and I hear them inside my head and I can I can uh, turn that around and speak back to them uh, and they hear my voice inside their head so that's I think there's uh, the opportunity to actually communicate uh, beyond words through written words in a way that when you're sitting in front of somebody uh, particularly in front of a stranger or maybe in front of somebody you know you've known for too long I don't know it's it depends on the context you know body language and, and form can be such a distraction but at any rate I, I'm, I'm not um, I, I'm, I'm not at a point where I want to go out and you know I go to the, I go to the tap meetings pretty much uh, I'm going to be down in uh, the Raleigh they're having a retreat a TIG uh, the TIG group down there is having some retreat in October and I agreed to go to that so I'll go there and meet with people and I, I never regret doing that I always in, enjoy being going to those meetings and interacting with people but it's not the sort of thing I ever seek out and I so anyway a long-winded answer to your question I'm I'm, I'm willing to uh, reply to uh, written correspondence but I, I don't particularly want to meet people face to face right now I, I'm not uh, up for doing Skype sessions <laughs> so if uh, there'll be there'll actually be show notes uh, for this episode on the website so if I left uh, an email contact for you people could email you and then perhaps set up a written correspondence is that how it might work yeah I mean I I, I if you can you can publish an email address the the tad email address and uh you know I'll more than likely I'll respond i mean i i have to admit i've gotten some emails from people that are just i don't pick up the, i don't pick up the sincerity or i, I mm-hmm. pick up something there you know i've gotten p- emails from people that they 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 talk about such phenomenal things like uh they're into uh, some sort of magic or I mean something that's just so foreign and far removed from me. I'm I'm puzzled as to why they would even write me, but what they write me is just, you know, sometimes I just ignore it and don't answer, or sometimes I'll just maybe write something to, you know, in a way that hopefully it won't go anywhere. But you know, sometimes I'm really moved by something somebody writes. I I, I think the difference is if somebody opens up, if somebody is writing and has something to say um, I feel an obligation to reply even you know it's very time-consuming you know part of me you know I I don't I don't I don't want you to do something that's going to generate you know a deluge of email here because I'm not in a position to answer it I get an email from somebody and I might answer it right then and there or it might sit in my I might read it and then think oh I gotta answer that and then a week goes by I can't. I can't commit to any kind of. A, you know, I'm not in a position right now to commit to a schedule of response. Sure. So a suggestion might be that uh, uh, you're not you're not particularly open to casual conversation with people. But if someone was particularly struck by something that you talked about in this podcast and and really gave a uh, a thoughtful question of you or request that you might be able to respond to that. Yes, that's a good way of saying. It. If somebody, if if some some phrase I turned really strikes a chord, uh, 
and that person thinks, you know, I think Bob can help me in some way, be with some facet, or uh, so I'm writing and then sure, but I, I like I I don't want to I don't want to debate philosophy with anybody. I I had some correspondence recently from somebody from Europe and uh, just super super intelligent and super well read and super knowledgeable and they wanted to engage you know they they uh, perceive me as somebody with knowledge and perspective and so they wanted to engage but it wasn't for I mean the, I didn't get what the purpose was other than to like get into into you know the, the how many head how many angels on the head of a pin sort of thing and it's hard enough it, you know it's enough of an effort to do actually write a you know something serious and meaningful to help somebody uh, so I don't have time to uh, just I'm not interested in philosophical discussions there's so many good books about there there's other better sources for that sort of communication is there uh, just out of curiosity is there a book that you've often recommended to people uh, well among Rose's writings I've I've uh, told plenty of people that if if the only book that Richard Rose ever wrote if you know of, of all the books that he wrote if, the, if there was only one that they could ever read then it would be the psychology of the observer would probably be the book I would I would tell them I, I have told people to read um, I am that by Nassar Gadot. I'm almost hesitate on that one because you know that that book is just un, unbelievably profound. But I never read it until after my realization. And I remember reading books like that, uh, like Ramana Maharshi's writings. Even um, they didn't. I, I honestly, they they didn't mean anything to me. I couldn't grasp anything from them. But people who read Nisargadatta I think it's like reading lullabies too many people they, 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 what they get from that book is the equivalent of, of lullabies so I don't know it, I, I guess I'm, I, I, I guess I'm sort of recommending I am that but cautioning that uh, I'm not sure that you know the danger with a book like that is you 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 immerse yourself in the feeling that uh, that the writing evokes, and then take that as some fruit of your own perspective, or knowledge, or realization. And, and you know, instead of finding out for yourself, you just read Nirsagar Data and, and experience the the, the afterglow. <laughs> Do you have any advice about what a person? I know many people who do enjoy reading Nizargadatta, and I am that. Is there a what? What should they do? Reading a a passage from from that book. Well, well, I think one approach would be that a book like that is to sit down and just open it up at random because it's uh, there's not many books you can do that with with, but that is one you can literally just open it up at random to one page and then read maybe that one page maybe a few paragraphs from that page or maybe a page and a half and then stop um, and and sit with that but then at some point um, turn it around and see see if you can apply it to yourself for 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 the thing for every 
the thing I hear quoted from Nisargadatta more than anything else is about is in connection with this concept of effortlessness and um, yeah effortlessness and they overlook the fact that uh, probably if you did a word count on, on a digital file of that I, I haven't done that but I imagine if you did a word count of the word earnest <laughs> you'd find the word earnest in there more often than you'd find the word effortless so mm-hmm. what does he mean by uh, he, he's big on uh, doing whatever he's talking about with earnestness he says you have to be earnest uh, that's roses you have to be committed you have to be serious you know you're not going to you, you have to look in order to see and reading someone else's words is not looking you know you can you can maybe be inspired uh, maybe evoked you know, looking inside yourself can be evoked, but what 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 you have to look at is not how somebody else makes you feel. What you have to look at is you have to look at your own, you know, your your own self. Um, your you have to you have to see yourself in action. So you have to look at how you live your own life. Look at your own life. Look at your own thoughts. Why you do what you do, and see where that leads you. And you know, Sargadatta might be helpful in that. He might be a nice interlude to that. So, Sean, let let me let me wrap this up. I I um, yep. I was digging through. I got a, a I ripped out a page from one of those little teeny spiral notebooks. You know, those little pocket things you people carry with to make notes. And I was at an airport one time, and I I was just thinking, okay, what what if I if I was gonna write down like a list of things. Um, that encapsulate things you know what would it be and so i had this uh scribbled notes here you know the first one was one define yourself what are you two see clearly reverse the vector of your attention three watch the watcher cultivate the doubt sensation four take action challenge yourself all experience either magnifies or diminishes your sense of self don't look away from that which cast doubt on who and what you take yourself to be because that you have been doing since birth Uh, five be wary of thought because it's purely reactionary and follows the body six make a commitment and keep it seven uh, daily examination of conscience eight pray and nine help others and that's that would be my like uh, cliff notes or cheat sheet. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and thank you for your time as well. <laughs>